I remember like it was yesterday. It was the day that I met the most famous celebrity that I think I'll meet in my whole entire life. I was so excited for that day. And I remember that day being unusually warm. And I'm not a fan of the heat, but I woke up that morning and I said, I'm going to fight through the heat just to see this guy. That's how much it meant to me. I was so excited. I remember standing out in the sun that day. It was just beating down on me. I remember the beads of sweat started to form on my forehead. And when I went to wipe my face, somebody on the left of me said, he's here, he's coming, I see him. And in a second, this mob of people ran past me. I mean, before my hand even came back down, I was getting pushed from side to side as these people were fighting their way just to see this guy. I found myself at the back of the crowd, trying to squeeze through, trying to see through the cracks of people. I remember putting my hands on this guy. I didn't even know who he was, but I put my hands on his shoulders and I used him to try to catapult myself up to see over everybody just so I could see this guy. But I didn't have any luck. I remember how discouraged I was. I even went back and I sat down on the curb and I thought to myself, this isn't even worth it. I should just go home. But there was something inside of me that knew this was going to be my only chance to see this guy. And it was just then that the crowd started to move as they were following this guy. And I looked in the direction that they were walking and I noticed this tree in the distance. And I thought to myself, oh, if I can get to that tree, I think I'll be able to see him. So I got up and I ran. And I'm not a runner, but I ran hard and I ran fast. My legs were burning. My lungs were burning. I got to that tree. I stopped just long enough to catch my breath. And then I started to climb that tree. And it worked out perfect because there was this branch that shot out over the sidewalk that he was walking on. So I climbed up and I shimmied out onto that branch and I just hung on to there like this. I mean, imagine that, a grown man up in a tree just to see a celebrity. And then the sound from that crowd started growing louder and louder as they came closer, and I started getting so excited. My heart was pounding. Before I knew it, everybody was right underneath me. I had the best seat in the house. I mean, a bird's-eye view of everything that was going on. And there he was. I mean, here's this celebrity, the one that everybody was talking about, the one that everybody wanted to see, and I had a perfect view of him. And then this next part kind of freaked me out a little bit because I wasn't expecting this. He stops underneath a tree. He's talking to the crowd. And then he just gets quiet. And he looks up at me. And we make eye contact. I mean, we probably only stared at each other for a couple of seconds, but it felt like an eternity. And then he did something crazy. Because I had never met this guy before. But as he's looking at me, he says my name. I'm like, what in the world? How does this guy know me? Then he said he wants to hang out with me. Next thing I know, we're at my house eating a meal together. This is like the best day of my life. I just wanted to see this guy. He ends up at my house, and we're sharing a meal. And as we're eating this meal, and he's talking to me. And he's telling me things that I'd never heard of before. I mean, it was like he knew me better than I knew myself. James, you know what? Oh, it, was, it was so crazy because he, he spoke to me with love and with compassion. 
And I wasn't used to that because, you see, I had a job at the time that caused me to do some pretty mean things. I hurt a lot of people. I lied and I cheated and I stole just to get to the top. And not a lot of people liked me. See, I was used to people, when they would speak to me, being angry with me. In their voice, there was this, this tone of hatred. But, but when this guy spoke to me, and there was love and there was compassion, I felt like he really cared about me. And he was telling me things like, I didn't need to let the, the things of my past define who I was. I remember him saying that there was forgiveness available to me, but in my mind I was thinking, this stuff is impossible. There's no way that what this guy is saying can be true for me after all that I've done. And our conversation went on for hours. And by the end of it, I couldn't help but believe him. I remember there were tears coming out of my eyes as I looked into his face. His name was Jesus. I said, Jesus, I believe you. Jesus, today I'm going to trust in you. I remember it was the sweetest thing ever because the smile broke across his face. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Zacchaeus, today is the day of salvation for you. Now I have to be honest, I don't know if that's exactly what went down between Jesus and Zacchaeus when they met on that day. But this is a very interesting story of this wee little man encountering Jesus, the Savior. And there's a, there's a danger in preaching a message like this because there's a tendency for us to hear the story about Zacchaeus and say, oh, I know that story. I learned about it in Sunday school. See, there's this unfortunate tendency to take stories like Jonah or Daniel in the lion's den or Zacchaeus and put it in a box and leave it in the Sunday school room for the kids. But really, Aiden, this is a story for all of us, right? Whether we're four years old, 40 years old, or 140 years old, we should all be studying this because this is such a good story, and I'm so excited to look at it today. So if you're here today and you're kind of tempted to check out because you're thinking to yourself, I know that story. I can check my Facebook or something. I encourage you not to check out, but to lean in because as we look through this story, we're going to discover four truths about Jesus that can radically change the way that we live our lives. It doesn't matter what age you are. So I encourage you to listen in, to lean in to the story. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. We're going to be there in a second. In case you're wondering, this is a picture. This, they call this the Zacchaeus tree because it's, it's rumored that this could be the tree that Zacchaeus actually climbed up in to see Jesus. So we don't know if that's true or not, but it's kind of cool image right there. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Uh, we're going to be read verses uh, 1 through 10. But before we do, I just want to set the scene for us. Because we have to remember, at this point in Jesus's life, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross, to go to the cross to die for our sins. And Maggie, as he goes on his way to Jerusalem, he encounters this guy. We don't know this guy's name. We just refer to him as a rich ruler. And this rich ruler goes up to Jesus and he asks him a very important question. Ben, do you know what that question is that he asked him? This rich ruler goes up to him and he says this, Jesus, what must I do to inherit 
eternal life. So Jesus, what must I do to enter into the kingdom of God? Jesus says, oh, that's a good question. Well, follow the commands. I mean, you know those, right? Don't kill, don't steal, obey your parents. And this rich ruler is getting a little excited. He's like, well, I do that. I've been doing that since I was a child. And then Jesus kind of pokes at his heart a little bit. And he says, oh, but there's one thing that you lack. Go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. You see, Jesus wasn't saying to this rich ruler, you need to buy your way into heaven. No, see, Jesus was pointing out in this ruler's life that there was an idol. There was a a fake God standing in between him and the real God. And he's saying, you need to give that up because you're trusting in your money more than you're trusting in me. You're trusting in your things more than you're trusting in me. So if you really want to come into the kingdom of God, you need to get rid of that idol. Unfortunately for that rich ruler, he loved his money and he loved his things more than he loved Jesus. So he walked away from Jesus that day. And as he walked away, Jesus looked to the crowd and he said, you know what? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' disciples hear this and they say, well then Jesus, who can be saved because that's impossible? Jesus looks at them and he says, well, what's impossible for men, Luke, is possible for God. That's very important for us to realize. What's impossible for men is possible for God. And that's the first lesson that we see from this story. Before Jesus even meets Zacchaeus, we discover this about Jesus, is that Jesus makes the impossible possible. Now, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in an impossible situation. Ben, maybe you're playing basketball on your team, and uh, you're down by two points. You need a three-pointer to win, right? But there's only like a second and a half left in the game. The ball gets checked in, it goes to you, and you just wildly throw it up in the air, and it swish. You get your three points, and you win the game, okay? Most of us have, have probably been in some kind of impossible situation. My wife and I just went through one of those in the adoption of Xander. You know, if you guys are familiar with um, the ICWA laws, Indian Child Welfare Acts, we had those up against us. We had his birth father trying to fight us. We had all these financial things. It just seemed like an impossible situation, but God stepped in and did the impossible. And we see this in the story of Zacchaeus, God coming in and doing the impossible, because we can't forget that Zacchaeus was a rich man. We're going to see that in just a minute. Jesus just said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And here's Zacchaeus, this rich man, entering into the kingdom of God. We see here that Jesus makes the impossible possible. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. You can follow along on the screens, or you can read with us. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, starting in verse 1. So if you're ready for this. He, that's Jesus, entered Jericho... And was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down 
and received him joyfully. We're going to stop right there and just review for a second what happened. Okay, so we know that there's this guy named Zacchaeus. Remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He stops in Jericho. This is all part of his plan. There's this guy named Zacchaeus. Okay, the given, we know he's short. We learn about that in the song we sing, you know, we little man and we little man was he. So he was short. But it says that he was a chief tax collector. So what that meant was that he was a boss to other tax collectors. He had people working for him. So Annabelle, this guy was really, really rich. Okay, and what the tax collectors would do, they would go out into the city. They worked for Rome. They would go out into the city. They would collect money. But they had a reputation of collecting more than what they needed. They would actually steal money from people. They would take what they needed, give it to Rome, and then whatever was left over, they would put in their pocket. So they had a pretty bad reputation. Not a lot of people liked tax collectors. So we know that he probably wasn't that well-liked, and it also says that he was rich. So really, the, the odds are stacked against him for entering into the kingdom of heaven. Because he's rich, not that many people like him, all right? But we're going to see God step in and do the impossible. And then this rich, small little tax collector wants to see Jesus. He's seeking. That's an important word. We don't know what caused him to be so curious about Jesus. Maybe he heard some story about Jesus changing somebody's life, and he knew he needed a change in his life. Maybe he just wanted to see what all the the commotion was about. We don't know, but he was seeking Jesus. And I can't help but think that there's somebody sitting in one of these seats today that is in the same place that Zacchaeus was in 2,000 years ago. Maybe a friend invited you here today. Maybe your circumstances led you here. But you're asking that question, who is this Jesus character? What is he all about? Why do people sing about him? Why do they just drink weird little cups of juice and eat some bread to remember him? What, What is he all about? Some of you, I think, are seeking to see who Jesus is, just like Zacchaeus was. And we're going to see that Zacchaeus discovers who Jesus is. And my hope and my prayer is that by the end of the day, you would discover who Jesus really is. So here's this Zacchaeus man. He's seeking to see Jesus, but the crowd is kind of standing in between him and Jesus. So he gets this clever idea to climb a tree just to get a glimpse of this guy. So that's what he does. He climbs this tree. Jesus comes up underneath the tree. And then this is our next lesson. This is lesson number two that we learn is that he knows us by name. Jesus looks up into the tree and he just says, Zacchaeus. There's no record of Jesus and Zacchaeus ever meeting before this, but Jesus knew his name. He knew him by name and he knows us by name. Jesus had eyes to see what other people couldn't see. Because notice that Jesus doesn't say, Zacchaeus, you cheater, or Zacchaeus, you thief, or Zacchaeus, you sinner, get down here. He just says, Zacchaeus. He's not pointing out his flaws or his impurities. He just simply calls him by name. See, the crowd, they define Zacchaeus by what he has done. In verse 7, we're not there yet, but they call him a sinner. Jesus doesn't define us by what we do. He defines us by who we are. And that's an important lesson for us to learn. Because we all have a desire to be noticed. It's not a bad thing. When I come home from work, my son, he has a desire for me to notice him. So he does crazy things. He'll run up and down the hallway or throw something at me just to get my attention, right? We all want to be noticed. Not for the things that we do, but just for who we are. But it's important that, that we be cautious about who we turn to when we're seeking that attention. 
Because the temptation is to turn to people. Anybody here struggle with people-pleasing? I know I do. That's, that's where this comes from, right? We, we have a tendency to turn to people to get some kind of validation. Parents, that's why we check our Facebook habitually, right? After we post something, we're like, oh, I know I'm going to get a lot of likes for this. And we scroll through and we hit 100. We're like celebrating because we have 100 likes. Oh, because we want people to notice us, right? We need to be careful, though, about who we turn to. Because I promise you, I, I'm speaking from experience. I'm not that old, but I have experienced this. That there is no amount of likes or comments on Facebook that even compares to the satisfaction of hearing God call you by name and believing that he knows you not for what you do, but simply for who you are. So I encourage you, if you ever find yourself struggling with that temptation to run to people or to run to other things, just stop for a minute, crack open your Bible. You can write this down. You can flip to Psalm 139 and just read through that. Memorize some of that. Know that God knows you intimately. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows when you sit down and when you rise up. He knows what you're going to say before you even say it. He intricately wove you inside of your mother's womb. He knows you. We should be running to him for that attention. This ties so well to what Pastor Scott talked about in his first installment in that Rooted series on our identity. I encourage you to go back and listen to that if you're struggling with that. Here we see Jesus knowing Zacchaeus by name. Not calling him out by his flaws, but just simply calling him by name. This is also where we see here in verse 5 the, our third lesson that we learn about Jesus. Ian, are you ready for this one? Because this one I struggle with, man. And I think you might struggle with it too because you're a college student. So, our third lesson is that Jesus doesn't waste time. We don't see any procrastination in Jesus. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. I must stay at your house today. Anybody in here procrastinate? Some of you are procrastinating about raising your hand. You're like, I don't know. Maybe? Okay. Man, I, I, am, I am a procrastinator. Um, when I was younger, like Faith, when I was your age, uh, I used to procrastinate a lot when it came to doing like homework or cleaning my room. Because let's be honest, when you come home from school, um, video games and playing are far more important than uh, homework and doing chores. Okay, like my chores were picking up dog poo-poo. That was not fun. I would much rather play video games than do any of that kind of stuff. Now that I'm older, when I, what I procrastinate is when it comes to uh, having difficult conversations with people. I mean, last month I had a difficult conversation with one of my family members that I had put off for years. I mean, I just kept putting it off and kept putting it off because I didn't want any kind of conflict to arise. I was scared about that. All right? You guys might be, you guys are both in college, Ian, Josh. You guys probably procrastinate when it comes to some of those finals, some of those assignments that you have to turn in. You're like, I'll get it done eventually. And you're up at 3 o'clock in the morning. We don't see that with Jesus. There's no procrastination. There's no waiting to put off this, this need that somebody is, is, is needing salvation. And this is huge for us to remember that Jesus doesn't procrastinate. And it's important to notice that with as much urgency as Jesus has, Zacchaeus has. Because Zacchaeus hurries and comes down. And in between verses 5 and 6, this is important, we can't miss this, Zacchaeus has a decision to make. Riley, he has a big decision to make. Am I going to listen to Jesus and obey him, or am I going to stay where I'm at? That's a decision that we all have to make too when he calls our name. Am I going to listen to Jesus and obey him or am I just going to stay where I'm at? 
I can't help but think that there's somebody here in the room today that needs to make that decision. Maybe God's working in your heart. He's calling you by name. He's saying, just come follow me. Come here, I have a better plan for you. You have that decision to make. Am I going to be like Zacchaeus and listen and obey, or am I just going to stay where I'm at? Unfortunately, that rich ruler stayed where he was at. Zacchaeus obeyed. And then look at the change in his life after he received him joyfully. Verse 7 and 8. And when they saw it, this is speaking about the crowd. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Remember, they're defining Zacchaeus by what he's done. Verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So here's Zacchaeus. He receives Jesus joyfully, and then there's this radical change in his life. This was a costly commitment on the part of Zacchaeus. Because he just said, Jesus, everything that I have, I'm going to give half of it to the poor. And then with whatever's left, I'm going to make right what I had made wrong by repaying all the people that I cheated four times whatever it was that I took from them. This was a costly commitment on the part of Zacchaeus. But he just received incomprehensible riches in Jesus. So I don't think Zacchaeus hesitated for a minute giving up those worldly things that are just going to burn up one day anyways. This is where we see that, that huge difference between the rich ruler and Zacchaeus. See, Zacchaeus saw the value of Jesus. The rich ruler didn't. The rich ruler loved his money more than he loved Jesus, whereas Zacchaeus, man, he saw the value of Jesus. You know what I pray for, Jeremiah, when I think of the kids in the children's ministry, and Elise, when I think of the kids in the youth ministry? You see, I, I don't always, I, I haven't always prayed this way. I used to pray like, God, help them to have you know, success, help them to do, do good on their homework. You know, those things are not bad. But after reading scripture and seeing the urgency in Paul's prayer and seeing the urgency in Jesus, I'm like, why am I praying for such little things for these kids? So now my prayers, Trevor, are, God, help these kids to see the value of Jesus. Help them to understand that he is so worth giving everything else up for. Because when you believe that, you live life different. Man, unfortunately, we live in a culture that, that places a high value on, on stuff. And I pray that you guys would fight that temptation to give in. That you'd be more like Zacchaeus and less like that rich ruler. That you would be like Paul so that on the scale, when you balance the things of this world and Jesus... Jesus would be elevated so much higher so that you would look at those things and you'd say, man, that stuff is like trash. That is like rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Because when you live life like that, man, you make an impact. And that's what I pray for you guys. It's not bad to pray to do good in school and that kind of stuff, but, but that's not going to last. Pray that you would see the value of Jesus just like Zacchaeus did. I'm going to go on a rant, so we're going to go to... Our next lesson here. It's our last lesson. Lesson four. He, that's Jesus, knew his mission. Look at verse 9 and 10. Jesus said to him, speaking to Zacchaeus now, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. 
This is his mission statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Here we see that Jesus knew his mission. Now, Annie, a mission is like, oh, there you are. Okay. A mission is like a a job. Okay. It's an operation, it's an assignment. Jesus didn't leave heaven to come to earth on vacation just to see what it was like to to live on earth. He had a mission, he had a job, and that kept him on track from getting distracted. So your dad, Jeff, he has a pretty cool job. He works for the sheriff's office, right? And with that, he also helps out with search and rescue. He's got this awesome job that he gets to fly up in the helicopter. Well, it's awesome in one sense. But, you know, he gets to fly up in a helicopter and, and seek out lost people. And, and when, when he does that, he's given a mission. He's given a job. He might even be given a description. Hey, Jeff, there's this lady. She was last seen at Goldwater Lake in Prescott National Forest. She has a, a, a black shirt on. She has red hair, and she's walking a white poodle. Can, can you go and find her? He has a mission. He has a job. And having that job, having that mission, keeps him on track. Because let's be honest, we live in, in a beautiful area. If, if they just said, hey, Jeff, go fly and look for some person, you know, he'd be like, hey, let's go sightseeing over at Thumb Butte. And then he'd fly over to the Dells and then maybe over to Granite Mountain. And we just get lost because we get distracted so easily. We don't see that in Jesus. Jesus was so intentional. That's why he did more in three years than we will ever do in 10 lifetimes. Because he knew his mission and this mission kept him on track. My question is, do we know our mission? Do we know what we are called to do? A few, uh, some of you might remember this, probably a few months ago now, Pastor Tom uh, gave a message, and he encouraged us to write a mission statement for our lives, something that would help keep us on track. I don't know if you guys did that or if you have a mission statement like that, but uh, at the McClintock household, we, we did that. We have a mission statement. This is something that we don't do perfectly all the time. You know, we still get distracted because the reality is we live in a very distracting world, a distracting culture. Money and cars and relationships, all these things can pull us from or distract us from completing our mission that was given to us by God. But we have a mission statement that we try to follow, and it's three words. As McClintock's, we gospel love people. There's my family. Notice, helmet, helmet, no helmet. You can give her a hard time, okay? So that's my family, and we try to gospel love people. And what that means to us is that we try to take the same love in which God has loved us, and we try to pass that on to people, right? right the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Man, the, the love that God, that, that God loved us, would that cost him something? The gospel cost him something. So we figure if we're really supposed to love people, but it's not costing us anything, time or finances or resources, then we're probably not really loving them. We're probably just liking them. So, so we try to gospel love people. That, that's our mission. Again, we don't do this perfect. I'm not trying to stand up here and like boast about anything. But, but those three words help us kind of stay on track. And I encourage you as a family to go home and to write out a gospel, a gospel, <laughs> a mission statement. Okay, whatever that might mean. I mean, what are the Richards going to be known for, right? What are the Newnams going to be known for? What are the Lockers going to be known for? What kind of impact do you want to have? What is keeping you from getting distracted from all of the things that distract us in the culture that we live in? We've got to be intentional like Jesus was. So there are four lessons that we learn in this 
crazy story. This little tree-hugging Zacchaeus. He teaches us that Jesus does the impossible, that he knows us by name, that he doesn't waste time, and that he knows his mission. And I hope that you walk away from here today not saying, oh, I know these things, but that you walk away from here with a prayer in your heart saying, Father, help me to believe these things so that I live life different. And now as Jamie and the band comes out to close us in this last song, I want to encourage you to surrender. I, want to, I just want to encourage you, take this, these next four or five minutes to come up. The altar is going to be open. You can come up here to receive prayer. You can stay in your seat. But just take this time to surrender because I can't help but think that there's somebody in this room today that needs to surrender their life to Jesus for the first time. Where you come to him and you just say, Jesus, I, I know that, that what I've been doing hasn't been working. Now I want to trust you. I want to surrender over everything over to you. When you come to Jesus with a humble, repentant heart, it says, I, just, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose three days later, and that you offer forgiveness, that you paid my sin debt. It's not about the words that we speak. It's about our heart. He sees our heart. So your prayer today might just be Jesus. You might just say his name, and he will see that in your heart. He will welcome you into his family and adopt you as his son or daughter. Just watch out, because like Zacchaeus, your life will radically change. Some of you, I believe, need to surrender your life to Jesus today. For others, you need to surrender over a situation or a circumstance in your life that you just think is impossible. Today, you can surrender that over. Some of you might need to surrender over a fear of sharing your faith. You forget that there is a sense of urgency to our life and that tomorrow isn't guaranteed. So maybe today is that day that you pick up the phone and have that difficult conversation with somebody. And for others... We need to surrender our schedules because we've just filled it with so much stuff that it's distracting us from our mission. I mean, we have kids in 15 different sports. We have all these clubs. We have this. We have that. And it's just distracting us. And today could be that day where you just surrender over your schedule and you say, Jesus, I just want to follow you. I'll, I'll give up whatever it takes to follow you. So I'm going to close this in prayer. And then we're just going to take these next few moments and just surrender. God, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your love. We thank you for this story of this wee little man that teaches us so much about how powerful you are, Jesus. It really is more of a story about you than it is about Zacchaeus. And God, just like Zacchaeus surrendered to you, I pray that we would surrender, that we would believe your words, that they wouldn't just stay up in our minds, but that they would transfer down into our hearts and that we would live these truths out so that Prescott would be changed for your name's sake. So God, I pray that your spirit would be at work in these next few moments and that you would do amazing things. It's so encouraging to see these kids sitting with their parents. God, we pray for each one of them that they would grow to know you and to know how valuable you are, Jesus, that you are so worth giving up everything for so God, have your way in these next few moments. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.